So far in the box, we have had 14 questions out of last week. That was quite a good haul. I think it might even have been a 15th one. When I was looking through the list that Danny had typed up, I think there was one missing that he'd written. Um, and I only know that because he showed me it before he put it in the box. And then when he typed them up, it wasn't on the list. Um, so a bit of a cheat there. He was cutting down on, on his work, I think. Um, but I wanted to start with one of those questions tonight. So I'm not saving it for two weeks' time. And uh, the question is, why called baptism? Why named after a sandwich? Which Danny struggled with somewhat. Uh, I have no idea who wrote the question, but I had to point out to him that it was baptism. Uh, honestly, it was not me. Uh, but I think this is an excellent starting point for tonight. You know, why, why is it uh, baptism? And if I pop that up there, don't know how good your Greek is, mine's pretty rubbish, but actually this is one of those few words that I can read because it, it translates almost exactly. Um, it is baptisma. It's immersion is the meaning of the word baptism. So before baptism existed, that concept of immersion of really surrounding something uh, in water. Uh, rather like the family talk this morning when I had a, a vase and I had lots of things in it and I poured water in and we were trying to see which things would float, that um, the things were immersed. It, it got filled up. Um, so um, Today, the word is used wider than just immersion. And also includes immersion in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit and surrounded with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and sometimes we use the word baptism to mean pouring on of water, um, particularly uh, that's often done in churches when it's an infant baptism or uh, somebody that doesn't really want to get into the tank or isn't able to. So, um, under the floor here, there is a baptistry. Um, and we look forward to using it. You know, we have used it, we look forward to using it, but it's down there. I was, when I, when I was writing this, I nearly wrote underneath the communion table, because the communion table usually sits here. And then for some reason I didn't. And of course I came in tonight and the communion table's down here and I went, well, I actually got that right for a change. But, uh, so we have that. No, the, the word uh, baptistry can mean the room that such a tank is in. Or it can mean a whole building made specifically for the purpose of baptism. 
you know, and sometimes in some places you might get that, an entire building just for baptism. Um, we also have a font at the back here. Um, and that gets its name from the word fountain. You know, it doesn't look much like a fountain, perhaps, to you or me, but um, that's it. And uh, in the in the Eastern Orthodox uh, Church, fonts tend to be a bit bigger than this. Where we went to uh, quite a number of years yet, when I, I think I was in first year training for the ministry, we did a visit to a Greek Orthodox church which had a large, um, what about this size, this size, font. And it was made for immersion of the infants. You know, if you can imagine, you take your baby and you do like, um, if you know your Greek mythology, uh, Achilles held by the ankle and immersed in the water. Um, as opposed to the, the normal what splash on the head type thing that might be in the Western church. But in the early church, baptism tended to be in a river. And that'd be a, a moving body of water. There'd be a, a sense of uh, the living water of Jesus uh, that would flow. And so um, some of the early baptistries were actually built that way too, with water flowing in and flowing out constantly. Um, we don't have it flowing in and flowing out constantly. You could maybe swim in it. If you, you could have it flowing fast enough, couldn't you? Um, like one of them machines that you can put on a small swimming pool. Um, but it is fresh for each occasion. Um, but the first reference to baptism uh, in our Bibles is uh, the baptism of John, the baptism that John did, um, which is where people confessed their sins and turned to God before being immersed in the River Jordan. And... Uh, this is referred as the baptism of John, sometimes whether or not it was John that was actually doing it. As uh, people travel and say, what sort of baptism have you had? Oh, we've had the baptism of John. Well, it wasn't John that actually did it. And uh, you see, um, the, next week, when we get to the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus is a baptism by John. So he receives the baptism of John. It's a bit confusing how those words are used there. But, um, but it's a sign of repentance. But John didn't think up the idea himself. He, he built on what had gone before. So in Leviticus 16 where Aaron is given the instructions for the Day of Atonement. He's told to go and uh, cleanse himself. He has a bath 
before putting on special clothes and uh, he gets ready to go into the Holy of Holies, uh, the most holy place. And uh, the other aspect that John is building on is the Gentile converts to Judaism uh, in their preparation if they were choosing to uh, join that faith they um, would have some form of ritualistic washing a baptism a cleansing of what had gone on before Um, so this of course the fact that John was bringing this known practice one that was meant for the highest of priests and another that's meant for the Gentiles that were converting that he was bringing these to ordinary Jewish people obviously caused a bit of a stir uh, and that's part of the issue that uh, John faces and the questions that are asked about um, what he is doing is because he he was taking these two practices and bringing them together for people that recognized their sins, the things that they had done in their life, was causing a separation between them and God. And he wanted um, to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And so he was bringing people back to God not by them offering a token animal or some such, but actually making them think about what they'd done um, through his preaching, because we think of him as someone who baptises, but he was actually a preacher too. He preached the message of repentance, and people came to be washed clean. Though, of course, the immersion is not the change, but a declaration of what's already happened. It's saying, I am a changed person. So it's not the washing. It's a mark of what has already happened. Baptism in the early church, though, was more than the baptism of repentance. It was more than the baptism of John. It was when people chose to make a commitment to the way of Jesus, God's own son, to live his life. And so there was this sense of returning to the Father, following the Son, and the Spirit blessing them in that commitment. And when we choose to do that, say that we die to our old self, when we go down into the baptismal waters, we die to our old self, but then as we come back up, we rise with new life. There's a new beginning. We are washed clean, but something of that has already happened. So, baptism is an outward sign. It's something that we do, but it's something that we do 
remembering that something inside us has happened thanks to God's great love for us. It's an outward sign of the inward grace that God pours into our life when we commit ourselves to follow Jesus. And so, as we do that, we tend to give a testimony. We give a testimony not just so that we're sure in ourselves of what we've done or that we're trying to convince the congregation, but it's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to other people that might be wondering about where they are in their life and thinking, what's the right step for me? What change do I need to make? And quite often at a baptism, there's people that don't know the Lord Jesus, that haven't taken him as their saviour. And so there's that thing about saying, this is the difference he makes to me. Might he make a difference to you? That's why we do a testimony. And we also make promises that make commitment and make sure that we have an understanding before we baptise in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, it is something that's special. It's individual. And we call it a sacrament. It's a once-only thing. We have two sacraments in the United Reformed Church. One is baptism, and the other is Holy Communion, which is the Lord's Supper that we'll share tonight. This is the family meal. It's the meal that those who know and love Jesus, those that want to be part of the family, can share in. But baptism is a sign of entry into that one family, into that holy family. If a believer later strays, if they go off and do something, they can't be rebaptized because they can't join something that they're already a member of because they're already there. But they can pray for forgiveness and God will, through his grace and mercy, give new hope. We can have a ceremonial act that marks the change when someone wants to bring a change in their life. And of course, um, when there's been an infant baptism, when there's been what's sometimes called a christening, a bringing to Christ, um, that is in the RC counted as a baptism. But it's a baptism that awaits a second half. It awaits the personal confirmation, brings the completeness of the promises that are made by parents and godparents into somebody's own personal promises. So it is possible to do a ceremony that confirms faith and builds up that faith and uh, moves people onwards onto the next step.